Lessons Lived podcast, hosted by Michael Puente. What would you teach the world? Hello and welcome to Lessons Lived. Today I'm talking with Dr. Roop Sahoda. Roop is a doctor of physical therapy. I've known Roop for about eight years now. And besides just being a swell person, Roop is one of the world's leading experts on moving the body well and how to work on your body so that it can move better. Today, we're not going to be talking about movement and mobility. Rather, Rupa is going to talk to us and we're going to discuss being consciously aware of all the different paths that are available to you. Hello, Rupa. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Before we get to that, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, so I am California born and raised. My parents grew up in India and then my mom moved out here in her teenage years to basically change of life and direction. Got married to my father, who moved out here, and then I was born in the Central Valley of California, one of three siblings. Hmm. Middle child, got the middle child complex, (laughs) classically, always trying to get my way, voice heard. Grew up in the Central Valley, went to college in San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly, so California again. Have basically lived here my whole life. I've traveled the world at this point, which I love to do, but always come back to California, probably for the weather more than anything else, uh, even though we speak of this in a cold San Francisco day. Went to college, got my bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and a master's in technology management. So started my life career-wise professionally in a totally different industry than where I am in now. Once I got done with college, I worked for the DOD, the Department of Defense in the Navy branch as a civilian, working quality engineer. So missile defense type of work. Did that for a few years in Southern California, got tired of that, was living away from my family. So then I decided to move up here to the Bay Area be closer to my family, and got a job in Silicon Valley working for Fortune 500 company as a industrial engineer and just really was not enjoying that lifestyle. How old were you about this time? Probably 23, four. For the time I graduated college, 22, up until almost 30, mm-hmm. I was primarily a desk-bound athlete. And what I, how I define that is somebody who just worked at the office that he was told or decided to go to, live my life, doing what I, the bare minimum work because I just didn't enjoy work, and then finding ways of being active outside of that. I got married back in 2006, and at that point, my wife Sharon was very cool. It was very obvious that I just didn't necessarily like anything that I was doing with my career, so we started thinking about other options. And at that point, a cousin of mine actually came up to San Francisco and mentioned CrossFit to me as something that would be something that I would really like to do based on our growing up feeling, doing a lot of athletic activities. Can you tell me what you used to do as a desk-bound athlete? With the DOD and the Navy, I would do a lot of quality engineer work. So I would travel to different uh, contract manufacturers, Boeing, Lockheed, Raytheon, a lot of defense uh, contractors, and just make sure that they were following the government contracts. I mean, the athlete part, where were you? Oh, the athlete part. The athlete part, I would play a lot of basketball. Basketball, sports, just in general, activities were a huge part of my life. As I got older, my family always had a traveling basketball team, but the traveling basketball team was in an Indian league. And there was actually a big Indian league, the Indo-Pak League, throughout the United States, and we would get together at different tournaments. And so once I got old enough, I would play in a lot of those tournaments. We traveled a lot playing in those tournaments, whether it's Chicago, Dallas, Washington, Vancouver. I played any sport I can get my hand on. So I played a lot of hand-eye coordination-like sports, softball, basketball, football, anything I can do for activities. Mm -hmm. Hindsight being what it is now, I wish there was a lot of other activities, gymnastics, swimming. 
I'm a good swimmer, but I wish I've gotten much better at it. Sure. But gymnastics, dance, ballet, martial arts, especially martial arts, I wish there was a lot of other activities that would have been more available to me. Right. Whether that's because of my own ignorance and not knowing that those were available, or because of the way I was raised and basically had to focus in on school and just do the bare minimum sports activity to just feel like I was active. I wish those would have been a little bit more prevalent in my life, especially now as I get older and realize more about the body, learn more about the body. And I'm trying to teach my daughter, who's three and a half years old, to just go have fun. Right. How I approach fun versus how I'm trying to teach her to approach fun is a very different adventure, which is kind of cool to see. So then I let, I, 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 2000, seven at this point, maybe 2008 at this point, I reached out to Kelly Starrett, owner of San Francisco CrossFit, mm -hmm. just found his phone number online and gave him a ring and said, hey, I'd love to come out and work out. And he said, hey, no problem anytime. So I jumped, Sharon and I went for a class at San Francisco CrossFit. First class was taught by Adrian Bosman. Mm -hmm. I remember that class very, very well. It was like 150 push-ups for time, and anytime you had to break up a push-up, you had to go run a 400-meter. <laughs> so I, I think I ran a 5K that day, just running. And at a certain point, I got to 100 push-ups, still 50 reps short, and Adrian just looks over and says, probably just take it easy now. Just like, that, let's call it there. And I just absolutely fell in love with not only the approach uh, of just kind of classic CrossFit, but more importantly, I fell in love with the kind of philosophy that was taught at San Francisco CrossFit, where it's not necessarily about whether or not you win a workout, how well you, how fast you finish, how much you lift, but it's about the quality of which you approach mm. things. And that definitely changed the direction of my life. After that, I talked to Kelly about possibly coaching at San Francisco CrossFit. And within the next three or four months, I think this would have been January 08, I started coaching at San Francisco CrossFit and absolutely fell in love with the whole approach, everything they did there, learned a lot and quickly realized I wanted to take my education up to the next level. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of conversations with Kelly. This is what Kelly, was Kelly and Juliet lives, Juliet Starrett lives still here in San Francisco. So I just go over to their house, sit down and talk. Talked to Sharon a lot about what do I do next. I looked at a lot of, and this is back in 2008, so what the internet has now resources-wise to all things health, movement, fitness, mm -hmm. I mean, back then it was nothing. Uh, so I had to spend a lot of time figuring out what was the best avenue and made the decision to go back and go back to school again and uh, pursue a doctorate in physical therapy. And while I was doing that, I kept geeking out on movement and kept getting, in my opinion, at least better at coaching and kept coaching at San Francisco CrossFit. I was one of, if not the only kid in my adult at that point, person in my physical therapy program that kept a job. And it was highly frowned upon to keep a job while you're in physical therapy school because they wanted your attention fully dedicated mm. to the program. How many years was the program? It's a three-year full doctorate oh, program. Wow. It was an amazing experience. I had such an amazing time there. I'm really good at educational. Like I'm really good at learning. I, I love the process of learning. I approach learning much differently now than I did when I was a kid, but I love the process of learning. And so I will just basically entrench myself into the entire process. The three years I was heads down working my ass off to try to get as much knowledge as I possibly could. And then once I got done with school, actually take a step back. When first day of physical therapy school was also the first day that Kelly Starrett launched Mobility Wad. Oh. So those things happened hand in hand. So when Kelly did his 10 minute squat test day one, back in August of 2010 was the, also the first day that I started PT school. Wow. To see Mobility Wad and everything that it had to offer to the world start 
from nothing and grow while I went to PT school was just, I don't know if karma is the right word or fortunate, whatever you want to call it. It just felt right. So then as Mobility Wad started growing as a brand and I finished up physical therapy school, I was very appreciative that Kelly gave me the opportunity to start traveling the world and teaching the content of which Mobility Wad was based off of as well as his best-selling books. And then I got the opportunity to start traveling everywhere and just teaching and teaching. So for people who don't know what Mobility Wad is. Mobility Wad grown to be much more than what it was when it first started, but Mobility Wad started as a website, a video blog that would give a video every single day for people to perform basic maintenance on their bodies, whether it's doing soft tissue work, rolling out, stretching, strengthening, whatever it was to help improve the body. Since then, blown up to be something nobody had expected it to be. And now it's become one of the leading thinkers in all things health and wellness. And so it's not just about stretching anymore. It's about how you take care of your body. It's how you sleep. It's how you approach movement. It's all things that, in my opinion, if, if somebody is struggling with how to take care of themselves, it's a great place. It's a great starting spot with so much detail that you can just bury yourself into. Mm-hmm. And I think people do get a little overwhelmed at times with the amount of content, but the reality is that's the case no matter where you go. Right, so. right starting somewhere. And so then I had the opportunity of just traveling the world, teaching seminars, basically on a plane every other weekend for two or three straight years. I loved every minute of it. And then about three years ago, three and a half, four years ago, I decided to, as my wife was pregnant and my daughter was about to be born, made the decision that I'm gonna stop traveling as much. Not sustainable for a family man. It's not sustainable. And this is not for me saying, oh, I knew how I was raised and my father was not around, blah, blah, blah. That's not necessarily the case, but I just knew what kind of father I wanted to be. Sure. And I wanted to be around for my daughter quite often. And if we were traveling, I wanted her to be a part of that. And so Sharon and I decided very early on that we're not going to be those parents that don't travel for two or three years because we don't want to be the parents with a kid on a plane. And we've been traveling since she was two months old and we travel two or three times a year and she loves the airplane she loves to be in hotels she loves to just be out and about so we've been very fortunate in that and i've just since i stopped traveling i've kept my practice here at san francisco crossfit and people can look at me and say i'm a glorified personal trainer which i have no problem with saying as well but i just i have a client base that i really really get along with and really Mm. love and i've been able to continually evolve my thinking about movement and coaching into a practice now where i'm working a relatively full-time gig but still get to spend a lot of time at home which was a huge must for me when it came to professional life Hmm. and so now i'm here now i'm daughters in preschool and so i have two questions for you based on what you were just saying the first one is you said that your approach to learning when you were in graduate school is different from your approach when you were a kid yeah when i grew up life was really laid out for me Hmm. and this is probably the case for majority of people that i at least i knew and know whether it's because i was come from the indian culture asian continent and this is just how it was but people have seen this in movies and this is the running joke with indians or asians like you grow up you go to school you put your head down you get your good grades you go to college you become a doctor or engineer you graduate you work in an office you get married you have kids the cycle continues right and so i I, to some extent i took that process so far to heart that I basically just put my head down for the first 26 years of my life and just checked boxes. Hmm. And so for me, passing tests was simply that. I would be standardized tests and taking tests and all that stuff was relatively easy for me. Hmm. Well, actually, I take that back. Taking tests in school was relatively easy to me because I just knew exactly what to do next. Teachers told me, memorize this. I did this. I checked it, passed it, excelled, jumped from one, you know, 
eighth grade year, I jumped from regular math to advanced because I passed ACE the first test, and it was like, all right, this is just the road that I'm going to take. Standardized tests were a little bit different for me, though. I found standardized tests to be somewhat more challenging because when I finally then had to sit down and study on my own, where somebody wasn't necessarily teaching it to me, mm -hmm. I didn't like that. I couldn't understand that. I couldn't put that together because somebody wasn't telling me, here's how you need to know it to pass it. I just had a book in front of me that said, here, here's the kind of questions that you're going to be asked on this test. I couldn't just memorize that. So you were regurgitating information the way the teacher wanted you to deliver I knew how to it. pass that test. And you passed the test for yeah. that teacher. Yeah, and I never really knew the consequences of not passing a test or not doing well in a test until probably I started having to take standardized tests like the ACTs and the SATs. Mm -hmm. Once I started taking those tests, and not doing as well on those tests compared to what I would do curriculum-wise in mm -hmm. school, I started coming to the realization, I was like, wow, one, I'm not motivated to study this stuff. I can care fucking less right. what these metaphors and analogies and all these mean. I, I don't want to do this. So I did not put in any effort into getting, trying hard on those tests. So I said, fuck it, wherever I end up going to school, I end up going to school, no big deal. I know I'll graduate because I know how to take those tests. I, I know once a teacher tells me, here's what I need to learn. And so that process basically went on my entire educational life. Check boxes, move to the next. I could literally take a test. I was probably the best at taking a test. And if you asked me questions about that test a week later, I wouldn't remember a damn thing. Because I did what I needed to do to check that box and I moved on. So I kept my head down, checked all these boxes, went to the next step, went to the next step, went to the next step. And then a few years ago, even before PT school, we actually may have been during PT school, I, I myself came to this realization, and my wife and I actually talk about this quite a bit, where life became about going from A to B to C to D. Thinking that if I'm not happy at A, if I get to B, I'll be happy. Well, if I'm not happy at B, if I get to C, I'll be happy. It was chasing a carrot, so to chasing speak. Chasing some sort of carrot that every time I got to that carrot, the carrot wasn't big enough. I graduated, I got a master's, not happy enough. I went to go work in Silicon Valley, not happy enough. I, I got married, not happy enough. Went to PT school, graduated, not happy enough. Traveled the world, not happy enough. Had a kid, not happy enough. Renovated a house in San Francisco, not happy enough. And just checking these boxes and yet not feeling any sort of fulfillment with these processes. And that can lead down a whole nother conversation, which is what am I doing personally myself now to remedy that? But more importantly, what I've learned is how that influences how I parent. Mm. When I grew up, whether it was because of how it was presented to me from the people that were raising me or because of how I put my head down and moved, this is not me blaming anybody for how it is. It's just the reality sure. of the situation. I put my head down and I never thought about the consequences of my decision, any decision. It was just checking boxes. So now as I'm getting older and now I'm, as I'm helping Avia become a better human being, I'm quickly realizing that one of my biggest goals in life is not to tell her what to do next, but let her to some extent make those decisions on her own. But more importantly, make her aware of why she's making that decision and think about all the other different paths, paths that she has available to her that she could choose a different decision. Mm -hmm. And that should she choose decision A, that door doesn't close as soon as you walk through it. That's a revolving door that should you get bored, should you decide that that wasn't the decision you wanted to make, not a right or wrong conversation, Sure. that you can easily just turn around and try something different. So you're kind of like, your approach to parenting is giving her a buffet. Yeah. And then letting her, Let her choose. choose what she wants yeah. to do and what she's interested I, in doing. I live my life, I tend to live my life very extreme. And what I mean by that is, let's say I'm doing this particular diet. I decided that paleo lifestyle is the way for me to live, and I'm mm. going to eat paleolithic diets. Well, then, 
I have this massive exclusion list of foods that I'm not going to eat. And should I include those into my body? I'm going to be not only so physically, well, take that back. I probably won't be physically stressed really that well, that much at all, just because my body's okay with once in a while things. But mentally, it would mess with my head quite a bit. It's like, oh my God, this is not part of the diet and da da da. You're obsessive. Because, exactly. Very obsessive about things. And so my exclusion list was so big that the term moderation didn't mean anything to me because there were so many things that I would exclude from my moderation. Like every, people say everything in moderation, everything in moderation. Well, that always bugged me when people would say that because in my head, I was like, well, there's a massive exclusion list that you guys keep including in your moderation list. It's not okay to have a burrito once a week. It's not okay to have a pizza <laughs> once a week. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. That it made me so extreme in all my approaches to everything. This is the only way to squat. This is the only way you can run. This is the only way you can eat healthy. That it became so extreme that I, one, myself, could not enjoy being around other people that were living the life they wanted to live. Because I always felt like I needed to put my finger on it and say, this is how you should do things. Mm. As well as people genuinely did not like hanging out with me. Because it was just too difficult to be around me because I couldn't relax. Because uh. I was just so bound up and extreme. And so whether it's dietary, and, whether and it's... Would I say judgy? Would, big time. Yeah. yeah, I have no problem saying that. Big time judgy. I have zero problem saying that. And that's been one of the things that I've been really, really working on myself. Mm. And more importantly, as, as a parent, for Avia, I've, she's only three and a half. So there's, only, there's, a, there's a lot that I can do. But I've also been cognizant and cautious about trying not to do too much. Right. Let her figure out things on her own. You know, we can, as parents, Sharon and I can sit there and lay down a foundation and say, hey, here's the value of broccoli. Here's the value of a burrito. Here's the value of all these things. Not black and white, good, bad, not going to hurt you, not going to destroy you. Here's the value of punching somebody. Here's the value of hugging somebody. Mm. And so in, instilling in her the conscious awareness of when she decides to do something, she's present. So when I say the different forks in the road or different paths along that she can then be aware of, it's being conscious in every decision-making process to the best you can be, knowing you can't be conscious present every minute of every single day, but making her realize that it's not consequences, it's not good or bad, it's just here is the path that you're, here's the decision that you're trying to make right now. And know that when you make that decision, think about the who, the what, the why, the how, the where, the when, all those simple things. Just ask yourself those simple questions. Why, how, when, where, what are you doing? And if you decide that that is not what you want to do, okay, you thought about it. Go do something else. If you decide tonight at dinner you don't want to eat XYZ, cool, that's fine. We put it in front of you because we think this is a good meal for you. Have a bite of everything on the plate, and once that's done, you can decide what you want. You're consciously making that decision. I'm not making it for you, but I'm making you aware. And so in a case of eating dinner, how do I make Avia consciously aware of this decision she's making? One, we ask her to have one bite of everything, so mm -hmm. she figures out what tastes good to her, sure. what her body needs that given day. And then two, we ex explain to her why we're giving her that. From there, it's up to her to decide if she wants to. Now, people may think, oh my goodness, you're not, letting your, you're not forcing your kid to eat, making sure that they're eating enough calories. I was that way when we first started, obsessing about every little detail. Now it's like, fuck it. She'll, if she doesn't eat three meals in a given day, she'll make up the calories some way, shape, or form. She'll survive. Intellectually, she's still growing. Physically, she's still growing. Emotionally, she's still growing and developing. So for me, that's all I need. I don't need to check all these boxes because for whoever, whatever reason, it should be done this way. So you're really learning to relax. I am learning to relax a lot.
Um, and I actually want to thank you a lot for it. When the podcast club, the short-lived podcast club that we had about a year, two years ago at this point. Wow. It's a while. It's been a while. It's been Time a while, right? by quite fast. I was, actually, I was actually thinking about that recently because it made me realize that when the very first podcast club, I think the only one we really had, was on a topic that yeah. I was so closed off to. So just, I mean, the use of psychedelics, the use of ayahuasca, the use of herbs as a means of putting your body into whatever state, for whatever purpose, doesn't even matter for this conversation. But what mattered to me was, I was so closed off in that original conversation because I just thought to myself, oh my goodness, it's, we're talking about marijuana again, we're talking about ayahuasca again, we're talking about the, all these things that I will never fucking do because I'm just, I know what's healthy. <laughs> I know what's healthy and this is what it should be right, about. Right. And so I was so closed off to that conversation. And over the last two years, since that conversation, I have become so much more relaxed in my approach of what is deemed healthy. And by doing so, I think I've been able to open my mind to so many other ideas out there. Mm. Well, here's a question. Do you feel more healthy now than you are in the past? And that can include mentally healthy. I'm in the process. Okay. I'm still not where I want to be. And where I want to be is just a little bit more calm and centered. Mm. But I'm definitely in a place where I am much more consciously aware of that, that I'm not where I want to be mm. and that I'm on the journey than I was a couple of years ago where I was just like, blinders on, this is how we do things, we check boxes, we move on. This is the only way to live your healthy lifestyle. This is the only way to move huh. your healthy lifestyle. This is the way you have to sleep. You can't be watching TV an hour and a half before you go to bed enjoying yourself. <laughs> Get the fuck to bed, turn off that blue light. It's all these extreme approaches. Yeah. And dealing with that myself is in of itself a tough thing to do, but more importantly, making sure that as Avia grows up as a child, it's not that I want to sit here and say, I don't want her to turn out like me, even though I don't want her to turn out like me. But I, more importantly, it's not, that's not the conversation. It's the conversation of, all right, not everything in moderation, not be extreme. It's just decisions and consciousness. If you decide to do something, whatever it is, eat away, sleep away, run away, walk any way you want to, be more conscious about that. Mm -hmm. Be more centered about that. Be more relaxed about that. So even as a parent now, there'll be times where I could see Avi getting a little frustrated. I just say, all right, Avi, let's just take five breaths. Okay, mm -hmm. what do you want to do now? And then she takes those breaths and she's like, okay, Papa, I don't want to ride my scooter. Cool, <laughs> that's fine, right? And it's like those type of things that if I died tomorrow and there was one message that I could leave behind for Avi, it'd be, when you are thinking about doing something, don't do it because somebody told you you had to. That doesn't mean you disrespect the person. It doesn't mean you're better than that person. Somebody's giving you their opinion of what they would want you to do. Consciously be aware of that conversation happening and think, who is telling me this? What are they telling me? Why are they telling me? Where are they telling me? How are they telling me? Think about it before you react and try not to react. Try to actually have a conversation. Be open to those ideas. Take a breath in. Mm -hmm. And when you think about all those things, first off, you become a better listener. So you get learn how to connect with people better. And two, you have now not only heard somebody else's perspective, but now can use that perspective to increase your Rolodex of thoughts to then think about when you decide to make your own decision. Mm -hmm. And that has been the hardest thing for me to do, especially when you just have lived your life checking boxes, to now sit here and say, There's no boxes there's to no check. There's no boxes in the check. <laughs> it's just, you live. I want to ask a question about the checking the boxes thing, and then you realize as you were checking these boxes, you never were satisfied. Mm -hmm. My question is now, 
what do you do for fulfillment now with your strategy instead of checking boxes? Mm. Maybe you're still working on them. Yeah, no, 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 that's, that's a good question. The biggest thing that I'm doing right now, I would say, is any time that I'm deciding to do something, I'm asking myself a couple of different questions. And I don't know if I have all the questions even in my head uh, right now, but the question that I ask myself is one, am I gonna enjoy doing this? Am I having fun doing this? Two, I consciously breathe. So as an example, I get home from work and it's been a crazy day and my normal process would be let's eat dinner at home because it's a little more cost efficient and we can control the quality of the ingredients better and I know I can get Avia home at 7.30, get her in bed by 7.30 because that would stop, you know, get her sleep to be 12 hours, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? That's such organized structure. I get home and sit there and I'm like, all right, what do we want for dinner? And I just think, all right, what would make me happy? And if that's not in the house, it's not in the house. Then it's time to go out. If I wake up and I feel like working out and today's supposed to be a squat day and I get inside the gym and I'm like, and I think to myself, I don't want to squat, I want to dance. That day I'm going to dance. And so the first question I ask myself is one, is this going to, in this moment, make me happy? Is this this really what I want to do? And two, I do think to some extent, all right, Am I supposed to do this because I, I need to pay a bill? Mm-hmm. Like there's certain, certain things right, that right. I still have to do to make sure that my, there's still food on the table. There's still lights in the house. There's still a school for Avia to go to. Right. Those things I, I make sure that I get done. But I can now do those things, not necessarily thinking about them as things that I have to check a box to, mm-hmm. but things that are a means to an end, but I'm doing so in an enjoyable way. I get to go to work inside of a gym, hanging out with probably the best client base that anybody in this world has. These people may have better resources and means and money than I do. And that did initially when I first started working bother me because I wanted to strive to be at their level. Mm -hmm. But now I just enjoy being in their presence and having a really good conversation. And if that's what work is for me, then fuck, I'm ecstatic. Then I get to go home, use those means and resources that I've gained to improve the lives of the people around me and bring joy to them. And if I could do that, that is what I consider a way of living that doesn't include checking boxes. Sounds like you're following your heart on a moment-by-moment basis, and that's what you're telling Avi yeah. to do also. Yeah, which is really, really hard because living you know, 39 years now at this point where the vast majority of it has been checking boxes, there are moments where I have to take a step back, literally sometimes take a step back and take some breaths and think, is it really worth getting this worked up over? And that could be the difference between eating a salad and a burrito. That could be between... You know, Avi not brushing her teeth the way I want her to so we can get going on the day. Like, there are <laughs> every little nuances to the day, I felt like I had to control so down to the second that it fucking made life really uncomfortable for everybody around me, including myself. And so I haven't figured it all out, and I don't think I ever will, which is kind of exciting. But for the first time to be able to recognize that I haven't figured it all out and to be okay with not figuring it all That's out. That's big. It's big. It's big. And I've gotten to that path through, you know, your help, through help of even some psychedelics, through the help of talking to a Taoist. There's been a lot of people, and just even talking to Sharon and Avia mm-hmm. and having conversations. There's been times where, you know what, maybe 20 years from now, Avia doesn't remember anything that's happening right now. The seeds are being planted, but she might not remember these conversations. But there are days where I just have conversations and I sit there and ask her, how do you feel? How does it make you feel when I do this? How do I feel when you do this? And it's just nice to be able to talk to people in a way where I'm really trying to understand my impact on them mm. and make them also aware of their impact on me, which is a very different approach than I'm accustomed to. Sounds like you're growing a lot. Yeah. Long ways to go, but that's okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to add? I think no. it was great. No. Thanks for sharing and being so you know, vulnerable about yeah. everything. 
uh, uh, vulnerability is still an issue I'm working with, working on, and I'm excited to keep going. Great. Thanks, Roop. No problem. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lessons Live podcast. The Lessons Live podcast is part of the Lessons Live project, where our mission is to catalog the lessons of every human being's unique life and disseminate those lessons for humanity's betterment. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you have lessons you would share with the world, you can share them now at LessonsLive.com, a platform where you can share your life's lessons and learn from others. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, please send me an email at info at LessonsLive.com and let me know what you would teach the world. Until next time, I wish you well.